Second Thessalonians chapter two, and then uh, for those who may not have heard, we're also going to be looking at Daniel seven. We're going to be looking at Revelation thirteen and First John two and First John four this morning. So we've got a lot of ground to cover, a lot to read, but primarily we're going to be in Second Thessalonians chapter two. We're going to be looking at verses one to twelve this morning. Close. All right, let's pray together and we'll dive into the God's Word. Father, we're grateful that you have spoken to us. We're grateful that your Word is constant, that it is true, that it is a foundation that we can build a life on and that we can uh, see to it that that life is, is never in danger of falling because there's no, nothing untrue about your Word. And Lord, as we open it up and we, we sometimes see difficult things, scary things, uh, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged in knowing how the story ends. You're reigning and supreme, and there is uh, no issue with those who would come against you in any way, shape, or form. So, Lord, as we speak today about the Antichrist, I pray that we would be resting strong in the truth of your word, that we would have faith that the outcome is going to be uh, to the benefit of your people and that you will be honored and glorified in all that we think, say, and do this morning. Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Now, you heard it in the prayer. We're talking about the Antichrist this morning. It's everyone's favorite Sunday morning topic. It's coming up uh, through the process of the church in Thessal Thessalonica being fascinated with this idea of the second coming of Christ. We, we talked about that when we studied 1 Thessalonians. Uh, it's something that they are p potentially even over too, too infatuated with. They get to the point where uh, they can't think about anything else, it seems. Uh, and if you're here this morning and you're not familiar with the idea of Christ's second coming, I want to give you the Cliff Notes version just real quick so that you know where they're coming from. Uh, we see in the book of Acts, chapter 1, Jesus is speaking with his disciples in Jerusalem. This is after he is uh, resurrected from the dead. He's been walking around for 40 days and uh, he's having a conversation with them and they're interested in knowing when he's going to bring everything back into order. Right? Sin brings chaos. Sin brings death, uh, disorder, disease. All of this is because of sin and they have this expectation that one day all of this is going to make, be made right. And everything's going to be made new. And they're interested. Hey, when are you going to take care of that? Uh, they're ready for this world that is full of darkness, this world that's full of chaos, that's full of sin. They're ready for it to be over. And I mean, who can blame them? Sin corrupts everything. Sin is so disruptive and destructive. And we see time and time again that the beautiful promises of God's Word, they're we, we should long for that restoration. We see it and we should have this desire for it. We should be living for it. And they're saying, hey, let's go. When is that time going to happen? And Jesus tells them in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, that it's not for them to know the times and periods that God the Father has set with His own authority. So nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. Jesus Himself didn't know when He was coming back. And He essentially says, it's not for you to know. Like that's not the point of knowing that it's going to happen, knowing when it's going to happen. That's not for you to know. 
So instead, instead of being concerned with how things are going to end, Jesus tells them, you need to be working in the meantime. Don't, be, don't, don't wonder when it's going to happen. Just be about what we have told you to do. He tells them that they will receive power from the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, they're expected to, see, uh, to be Jesus' witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he says that, Jesus ascends back into the heavens where he has been at the right hand of the Father for over 2,000 years. And shortly after this, in Acts 1 verse 11, when uh, two angels appear before the disciples, the disciples watch Jesus go into heaven and the angels show up and say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? Which has always been one of my the most hilarious questions I've ever seen in Scripture. I've, I've never understood it because it's like, well, you know, one of our friends just levitated up into the sky and that's never happened before so we are kind of interested to see what's going to happen after that right i mean why why wouldn't you be looking up into the sky if someone just floated away from you um i mean imagine if peter was just like uh whoa that was cool so you guys want to go get something to eat like you know i mean that was it's crazy to me to see to see that uh but the angels come and they're you know they, the men are rightfully astonished and the angels say, he's coming back the same way that he left. You need to get to work. Don't stand there looking into the sky. It's time for you to get to work. And so when he says that he's coming back the same way that he left, that means that Jesus is going to come back to this earth from the sky. Uh, the church is going to meet him in the sky at some point, the living and the dead. Uh, at some point in the timeline, uh, it's been called, it's called the rapture of the church. You're not going to see that in scripture. It's what, uh, the church has assigned that, that name to it. Um, and so at this time, you know, we might go to heaven to be with Jesus for seven years while the end of the world plays itself out. We might have to deal with the end of the world for three and a half years, uh, and then we're raptured and then we all go to heaven. Uh, maybe we endure it all, all seven years of the tribulation, the great tribulation that we see uh, found in Scripture. Uh, but once that's over, we will meet Him in the sky and we'll immediately uh, come back to earth. There's people that hold to all three of these positions. Right? Uh, all three of it. And... You know, they've been arguing about this for, for centuries on which one is right. I'm right. No, I'm right. You know, uh, I think there's, there's pretty good evidence in here for, for them to hold these, these possibilities. Uh, but I don't think there's enough evidence for anybody to, to declare it with absolute confidence. Um, at some point in history, there's going to be the briefest of battles as Christ returns and as he becomes the conquering king he's no longer that meek little uh, baby in the manger he's coming back with a tattoo on his thigh and a sword coming out of his mouth he's going to be the king of kings the lord of lords and there is going to be nothing that can stand against him right uh, so there's going to be a battle where he establishes himself over all of creation and there will be uh, a bodily resurrection of the dead that will happen uh, when the rapture happens uh, and then there's going to be a judgment where each one of us is going to be judged based on either our righteousness or the righteousness of Christ. And I just want you to know, guys, here this morning that you do not want to stand before a holy and righteous God based on your righteousness. That is not going to end well for you. Right? Depending on 
Where, how you stand, that, de- that will determine whether you spend an eternity in the presence of God, being blessed upon blessed with nothing but worship, singing in your heart, no more, no more sin, no more death, no more crying, no more grief, or whether if you stand in your own righteousness, you're going to experience condemnation, you're going to experience wrath. It's weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. And then depending on how you interpret all of this end times stuff from Scripture, there, this might be when all things are made new, right? when life is good forever. It might be the start of the thousand year reign when Satan is locked up. Uh, and I'm going to be perfectly honest with you because I try not to, to elevate myself to a position that I cannot hold. I don't have any real solid ideas about the end times stuff. I don't. If people who are infinitely smarter than me can debate this issue for hundreds of years then for me to say no i got it figured out you know i you should read my book that i write on it um i've read through all three of these main concepts of the end times i personally think that the pre-trib and the post-trib rapture of the church holds more merit than this idea that we're there for three and a half years of the great tribulation and then we're raptured out i don't think that there's a whole lot that can back that up um, but I can't say, say right now that I believe in one over the other. Right? I grew up believing in the pre, pre-tribulation rapture because that's all I was ever taught. That's all I was ever... I didn't even know that there were other options until I went to seminary. It was completely foreign to me. Right? And I, I think that's wrong. I think it's wrong for us to... For, for things that are debatable in Scripture for us to only teach one of them. Right? I try to teach as much of it as I can, the broadest perspective, and still say, if you hold to these views, you can still be within the theological perspective of a Christian. All right, if you go here or here, it's too far out, then you're no longer a believer in Christ. But anything that falls in between these poles, you can hold all of that, and people do hold all of that, and we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's how I try to approach it. But as for me, God has built me to be a very practical person. Very practical person. And that's how my brain works. That's what I focus on. And so I take what I know for certain about Christ's return and I use that to get to work. Right? Uh, so what I know for sure about the second coming of Christ is that Jesus is coming back 100% certain. What I know for sure is there will be a bodily resurrection the dead will come back to life into new bodies. It will not be a, spirit, a spiritual resurrection. It's a new bodily resurrection. There will be a judgment where you will stand before the Lord, again, based on either your righteousness or Christ's righteousness, and there will be eternal rest and rewards for those who are in Christ and believe, and there will be eternal condemnation and wrath for those who re- refuse to repent from their sin. They refuse to back away from their rebellion against God, and they will spend eternity separated from God forever. That's what I know for a fact. No question at all. And I know there is more than that to this whole situation, but I don't think those details help my family and friends who are far from God, who are sinners in need of a Savior. I don't know that those details about the end times really help them come to faith in Christ. I've never had an evangelistic conversation with a loved one and had them say, you know, if you could just explain eschatology to me a little more clearly, I would probably convert. You know, if you could just hammer out that pre-trib rapture of the church for me, like that's the, that's the one thing about Jesus that I'm hung up on. 
Like that, that has never come up in conversation. So I'm going to be real honest. I haven't put a whole lot of effort into studying the end times. I could give you the Cliff Notes version of it, uh, but I try to study the the practical day-to-day things that life brings, the issues that sin brings into your life so that we can attack those from a biblical perspective. But the church in Thessalonica were absolutely fascinated with this. Right? It seems like they can think of very little else. They're so interested in the concept of the end times. Uh, they're so convinced that everything is wrapping up soon that's led back to some who have completely given up on life, it seems. They don't, they've stopped doing anything. And Paul's had to rebuke them and say, hey, get back to work, right? You've got to take care of yourself if you can and stop being a burden on everyone else. But they've, they're so sure that Jesus is coming back soon that they don't believe that they have to plow their fields anymore. They don't have to you know, make their bread anymore. They don't have to do any of the things that would provide for their family anymore. Uh, and so Paul is saying, listen to what I have told you. This is what you should expect and you need to get to work. And we're going to see in our passage today that there are people who are spreading false information about the day of the Lord. They're, they're pretending to be Paul and his friends while they do it. And it brings uh, a bit of chaos and concern to the church in uh, Thessalonica. And so Paul is addressing these issues in the passage today. So verses 1 to 12 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Follow along with me as I read that. It says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us alleging that the day of the Lord has come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this. And you know what currently restrains him so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with every kind of miracle, both signs and wonders, serving the lie and with every wicked deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth but delighted in unrighteousness. So we see right from the start of these verses that the Thessalonian church is worked up about Christ's return and the rapture of the church. And the reason why they're worked up about this is because a false letter has been sent to them that was supposedly from Paul and his companions that states that the day of the Lord has already come. The rapture of the church is has occurred and somehow these folks are left behind and they're worried. They're worried that what they thought was true is not true. And given the fact that they have been experiencing persecution from the Jews in their city, they're experiencing persecution from the Gentiles in their city, it's easy to see how they may think that this is feasible. I mean, the things that they are experiencing are absolutely some of the most difficult things that that we might ever go through in life. 
Right? You've got friends and family that are turning their back on you. You've got people that are being beaten. People that are, you know, you're being condemned. You've got uh, your businesses are being, you're being run out of business by people who are opposing your beliefs. And when you see all that, it might be easy to believe, hey, maybe we missed something. You know, was it supposed to be this hard? Was it supposed to be this difficult? Maybe we missed the rapture of the church and maybe we're in this day of the Lord where you know, there's judgment and condemnation. Right? The, the hope that they cling to involves that return of Christ. They think that they're going to be with Him depending on how you interpret this. They, they either believe that like, if this were to happen, they would already be gone at this point or Paul could be telling them, hey, none, this bigger stuff hasn't happened yet, so this can't be the truth. Right? But it's a false letter, right? It's a false letter. They, they're, not, they're not meant to believe it because it goes against what Paul had told them was already true. You know, see, they're, they're, with these doubts that they're having, they're like, maybe we aren't even believers. Right? If the rapture happened and we're still here, I don't know if you ever read the, the books by... Uh, Tim LaHaye and whatever the other guy's name was uh, left behind. Like there are people that they thought they were believers in Christ. And all of a sudden the rapture occurs and they're, they're left behind. That was the name of the series. And they begin this whole process. And so they're struggling with this idea. Maybe it happened and we weren't part of the church. Jesus speaks to the reality of this in Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23. says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? And I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. So the reality is there are going to be many people who think that they have a relationship with Christ that's not real. And, and God, it seems, is going to work through the, some of these people, but they're not going to have an actual relationship with the Lord. But Paul, he's saying, I don't want you to be concerned about the rapture. I don't want you to be concerned about the end times. We see that in verses uh, 1 to 3 and in verse 5. You know, Paul taught the Thessalonians about the end times while he was with them. And I'm guessing, based on the frequency that it's come up in these two letters, uh, and the brevity with which Paul addresses it here, I mean, wouldn't you appreciate a little bit more information? Like, Paul, could you have elaborated on this just a little bit? But it seems to me, right, with how briefly he addresses this, that it must have been something that he covered a lot while he was in their presence. So he's just calling back, hey, remember that? Remember what I taught you? Remember what I've already said? We've gone over this before. And it's not going to change. It's not like I got a new revelation from the Lord. This is what's going to happen. That's written in stone. You don't need to worry about the next letter that shows up that says it's from me or anybody else for that, for that matter because this is solid and true. You can base your faith on it. You can lean into it when times get hard. You don't need to worry. I said, don't, don't be concerned about what you might hear instead of what we have already taught. Lean into those things. All right, so, don't be concerned because you know the truth and you know everything that you need to know about this topic. We need to find comfort in what Paul says there as well. Right? We shouldn't be worried about everything that is going on in the world. 
right? I mean, how many of you look at the news or social media or whatever, and you're constantly anxious because of what you see? Would anybody raise their hand to that? Anybody nervous? Concerned? I think, I think at least a little bit, all of us would acknowledge that if we spend too much time looking at what is, what is shown to us 24-7, that we would say that there are, there are some things out there to be concerned about. And I'm not saying that there aren't bad things going on. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be a little bit concerned, but we shouldn't be worried about how everything is going to turn out. All right, The process to get there might not be pleasant, but we see in Scripture that in the end, everything is going to turn out well for God's people. Right? Everything's going to turn out well. And while Scripture doesn't give us everything that we want to know about this life or even about the end times, right? we have everything that we need to know to do the work that God has given us to do. Right? Even if there seems to be some information missing that we would love to have access to, God has not failed us in His Word. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So in Paul's letters, his discussion about the end times is less about satisfying our knowledge, the thing that we want to know about how all of this is going to go, about how it's all going to wrap up, and it's more about bringing pastoral encouragement to the Thessalonian church. He's just trying to settle their fears. All right? The comfort that he brings, though, might not be as comfortable as he wants it to be, uh, because he tells them not to worry about missing the end times because the Antichrist hasn't appeared yet. So settle down. You haven't missed it. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And you'll, you'll realize that when you see all this going down. So, you know, uh, a pastor I used to work with, he would say, uh, don't worry, it gets worse. Right? <laughs> and that's basically what Paul is saying to them. Right? He's saying, don't worry. You haven't missed the end times because the end times don't come until the Antichrist is revealed and starts raining chaos on God's people. And so here again, there are different ideas about when the Antichrist is going to appear at the end. Uh, and I don't want to speak to that this morning about when that might be. Uh, what I want to show you from Scripture is what we should expect from the Antichrist so that we won't be deceived uh, when he shows up uh, and while we're waiting on everything to wrap up. And so that's the reason why I wanted you to go ahead and turn to some of these passages uh, so that we can take a look and see what Scripture says about the Antichrist. We see some of that already here in this passage. If you look at verse 9, we see that the Antichrist is sent by Satan and is in league with Satan. Uh, we see that there's going to be supernatural power attributed to this, this man. In verse 9, we see that he has power there's miracles, there's signs and wonders that serve the lie. And so there's going to be stuff there that is going to be astounding. And we shouldn't be completely surprised by this when we see passages in the Scripture where there are people that are considered magicians in Scripture. We see went back when Moses was addressing Pharaoh, there were several of the court magicians that could do similar things to what Moses did like when he threw the staff down on the ground it turns into a snake they did the same thing but his snake ate their snake All right so my power is better than your power okay uh, so we see that like we're not going up against an, a, a powerless enemy 
Right? There is power there. So he's, he's going to have the ability to deceive through the signs and wonders that he performs. He is wicked. Like there is, there is, there is nothing good in this person. Right? We don't know what that wickedness is going to look like specifically, but this is not a good dude. And he's going to be deceptive. He's going to try to convince people that he is God. Right? And there's, that's the apostasy that Paul is talking about in verses 3 and 4. So he is in opposition, direct opposition, in league with the devil, uh, and he's opposing God. Right? He's going to sit in God's temple and he's going to declare himself to be God. He's going to say, Every, everything else is a false God. I am the I am. And so this is the apostasy that Paul is talking about. And then we can see some other information about this situation in the book of Daniel, in the book of Revelation, in the book of 1 John. So if you haven't already turned to Daniel chapter 7, I'd like for you to go ahead and do that right now. All right, so Daniel chapter 7, I want to read verse 15 and then I'm going to jump to verse 23 and go all the way to 28. Daniel seven fifteen says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit was deeply distressed within me and the visions in my mind terrified me. Okay, so pause for just a second. Obviously, this is something that is to be taken seriously. When I say not to worry about things like this, it's not that it's not worrisome. It's just we know the outcome. Okay, so this is going to be a difficult time in, in the world for everyone. And so it is something that should be, that is scary and that we should be mindful of, but we should be worried in a way that we know how it's going to end. It's like that scary movie that you've already seen the ending to, right? Yeah, it's, it, there's some jump scares in there, but we know how it ends, right? This is what he said. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, different from all the other kingdoms, they will devour the whole earth, trample it down, and crush it. The ten horns are ten kings who will rise from this kingdom. Another king, different from the previous ones, will rise after them and subdue three kings. He will speak words against the Most High and oppress the holy ones of the Most High. He will intend to change religious festivals and laws, and the holy ones will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will convene and his dominion will be taken away to the, be completely destroyed forever. The kingdom, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will serve and obey him. This is the account... This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts terrified me greatly and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. So we see... Uh, a political leader of some kind rising up through the ranks. He's overthrowing kingdoms. Uh, and we're going to see that he is going to uh, speak out against the Most High and he's going to uh, try to oppress those who worship the Most High. He's going to exalt himself above God in a way that is going to be extremely visible to the world. And he's going to oppress those who believe in God in that process. And it says they're, they're handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. 
Right? And so many interpretations. We're not going to dive that deep into this, uh, but I just wanted you to see like the reality that this is all through Scripture. Right? We see though in verse 26 that His power and His dominion will be taken away and He will be destroyed forever. So again, this is some scary stuff, but we know the ending. Revelation 13, verses 1-8. to It says, And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. On its horns were ten crowns, and on its head were blasphemous names. The beast I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. The dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and great authority. One of his heads appeared to be fatally wounded, but its fatal wound was healed. The whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast who is able to wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter boasts and blasphemies. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It began to speak blasphemies against God, to blaspheme His name and His dwelling, those who dwell in heaven. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints and to conquer them. It was also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All those who live on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not written, the foundation of the world, in the book of life of the Lamb who was slaughtered. And so we see here that there is no doubt, there is no doubt that, that Satan... And the Antichrist has power. Right? We see that there's going to be a wound that's going to bring death onto the Antichrist and there's going to be a resurrection very similar to what we have seen in Christ. Right? So it's going to be deceptive. Right? It's also clear that everything that Satan and the Antichrist do, we see in this passage, it's allowed. Did y'all notice that in, in the passage? Everything that they are doing is allowed. This is not out of control. Verse 5 and 7 speak of the beast being allowed and permitted to do things. So yes, they are scary. But when people have said that Satan is like a dog on a leash, and it might be a very scary dog, but it can only go as far as that leash will allow. And God has tight reign over that leash. Now, if you're like me, you start asking questions. Why? Why is he allowed to do anything? Right? It doesn't make sense to me. Why would there be any allowance for this? And that's just not a question that we can answer. That's, again, one of those things that Scripture does not tell us. And so we just have to take what we know and we have enough based on what Scripture does tell us that we can live a life that brings honor and glory to God without being afraid of Satan or the Antichrist. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 23 says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. So we see here that there is a spirit of the Antichrist that has come through the ages. And many people have thought, hey, maybe... 
maybe that one is the Antichrist. Maybe it's that one. You know, it's like every single time you've got a new president in the United States for some odd reason, that president is the Antichrist, depending on which side of the aisle you're from. I think we take a, a little, we're too serious about ourselves. I don't know that America is going to play that great of a role in all of this. Uh, but who knows? But there is a spirit of the Antichrist that has come through the ages that will be, that's laying the groundwork for the Antichrist. The one that will elevate himself above God or attempt to. That, the one that will try to deceive the, the believers uh, and, and those of the, world, the rest of the world. Right? And we see here, they went out from us. So there are people who went out from the church who were not a part of the church. Now we, we see in Scripture that there are uh, wolves in sheep's clothing that, that think that they might be a part or they know for a fact that they're not a part of the church. And when they leave out of here, they're not going with the idea of glorifying God on their mind. They're intentionally deceptive. They're intentionally trying to do things uh, to, to better themselves. But when we see that if you deny that Jesus is the Son of God, if you deny that in any way, shape, or form, you are not a believer in Christ. You do not have the Father if you don't have the Son. But the, the one who has the Son has the Father as well. So we, there is no denying. If you deny Christ, you're not a believer. And you are very susceptible to the Antichrist's Rule and reign. First John 4, verses 1 and 3 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. If, if there is a confession that Jesus is not the Christ, then that person is not a believer. It's that simple. right? You can know who is of the Spirit because they're going to make that confession that Jesus is the Son of God. And if there is no confession of that, then there is no salvation in that or from that. Right, so the Antichrist is going to say, no, 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 Jesus isn't God. I am God. Yahweh is not God. I am God. And so we can know for a fact that that's not how this goes. Right? We see it in Scripture. It's, it's scary. This is some stuff that can keep people up at night. Uh, and there are going to be many who are going to be deceived by the Antichrist, and there are going to be many who suffer in this life because of the Antichrist. But I want to give you comfort the way that Paul is trying to comfort the Thessalonians. Right? Because we know how all of this turns out. So is it going to be scary in the moment? Yes, but we know how the movie ends. Right? The end for the Antichrist is sure. Look at verse 8 if you haven't turned too far from 2 Thessalonians 2. Look at verse 8. Paul says very clearly, right? The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring to him bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. Destruction is sure. There is no battle here. Right? I don't know like what plays out in your mind if you've got these you know, the, the battles between the orcs and the humans and Lord of the Rings, and you see these people charging at each other, and you know, it's for Jesus, for Satan, and then they go, that's not how this goes. 
This would be the shortest action movie in history. Right? It says there that through the breath of his mouth, the Antichrist is destroyed. Jesus speaks, game over, it's done. There's no fight. Like there's no, there's right now, you don't have this yin and yang thing going on where good is trying to overcome evil and evil is trying to overcome good. No, we're just waiting for the story to play out because the end is already done. There is no battle. We know how this goes. At the end of the day, we may find that this passage brings more questions than answers. It always has for me. But what's important is this, and I want you to take this home with you if you go home today with nothing else. This is what I want you to know. Number one, Christ is going to return, and when He does, nothing will stand in His way. The victory is sure. So if if you have anything to walk out of this room with swagger about, it's that. You are on the winning side if you have placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You win, congratulations. Number two, when Jesus returns and when he is victorious, he's going to restore order to all of this chaos that has been, the the world that has been ravaged by sin, it's all going to be made right. Everything will be made new. There will be no more sorrow, no more death, no more sin, no more destruction. We can rest in the knowledge that this is what will come for us in the future, no matter what this life brings. And so when you walk out of here, I want you to take a couple of things with you. Number one, be sure of your salvation. Right? Some of the scariest stuff that I see in Scripture talks about people who act and seem to believe that they are in relationship with Christ. Matthew 7, the the tail end of that is one of the scariest things in the Scripture. Like you can have all this Antichrist talk. I'm not worried about that. Again, I know the end of the story. What bothers me is the idea that there are people who are not solidly in their faith. They think because they've said some prayer, right? Like some magical incantation that all of a sudden that locks them into salvation. Because someone said, hey, who wants to be Jesus' forever friend when they were eight years old? And they raised their hand and said, okay, repeat these words. And they said those words. And all of a sudden they think, all right, I'm locked in for eternity. Like, no, that scares me much more than any idea of the Antichrist. So my biggest challenge to you here this morning is to be sure that you are saved. To rest assured in that salvation. Because if that's the case, we have nothing to fear. And number two, know the Scriptures so that you're not deceived. So they, the Thessalonians, they've got, they've got this letter that contradicts what Paul has already said. And Paul said, did I say that before? And they said, no. Well, then it didn't, it's not going to change. Guys, the, the Scriptures don't change. There's not going to be a moment where all of a sudden they're going to be like, oh, there's this new revelation and all of a sudden everything that we said about Jesus is no longer true. It's this other thing that you need to, to believe, think, say, or do. The Scriptures are absolutely true. You can hang everything on that. Everything in your life can be hang, hanged on the truth of the Scripture. But you can't you can't not 
how do I want to say this? Ugh. If you don't know it, you can't be you can't live by it. Right? That's when you get these crazy people that show up on YouTube and they're like, I've got a word from the Lord. And you're like, oh, really? A word from the Lord? Let me hear that. Well, the Lord wants to do this for you. He wants to bless you with this. If you'll just put your hand on the screen, everything would be healed. What? But the problem that we have as the Christian culture in this country is that people don't know the Word of God. You've got too many churches that are trying to preach feel-good messages. They, they never dive into the hard stuff in Scripture. I mean, how many of you have ever heard of a, a passage about the Antichrist? Raise your hand. Three? Four? A handful. Okay, so why is that? How long have y'all been in the church? Because it's not comfortable. Do you think I like preaching about this? But guess what? It's what showed up in the next passages of Scripture and there will be difficult stuff that will come up beyond that. But I want you to know it. I don't want you to shy away from it because it's hard or scary. But if you don't know the truth, you will be deceived by every wind of change that comes through your world. Paul says, that's not what I told you. And that's the same thing that God says to us. Like, oh Lord, I'm worried about that. That's not what I told you. That person is going to show up. The Antichrist is going to show up in a way that is completely opposite of everything that Jesus represented. There's going to be some magic involved. There's going to be a, a bit of confusion and some deception involved. But we know the truth. Right? When Jesus returns, it's not going to be him sitting himself down on the th throne and, and like there being all this other stuff saying Jesus wasn't the Son of God. And this person saying that I am God. Right when it it's over, when Jesus shows up, so don't be deceived when this antichrist shows up and they says, "Hey, this is how it works out." We may not even be here. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that we need to be about learning and equipping ourselves with the truth of the word, and that there are people who might be deceived by this and we need to do our best to stand between them and this deception. We need to be presenting the gospel to these people. We need to be pouring out our lives to serve these people so that they may see the truth before the deception ever shows up and so that they're prepared. So be assured of your salvation. Know the truth and then take that information into this dark and dying world and do battle against these forces so that they don't ravage those who we love, who are in our lives because God has placed them there so that we can share the truth with them. Let's pray. Father, it would be deceitful of me to acknowledge that there's nothing difficult in your word. It would be deceitful of me to say that there's not scary things in your word. Sometimes, Lord, when I, when I read your word, there's anxiety that comes about because there's some things in there that's just unknown and the unknown is scary. But Lord, I am so grateful for what I can know for a fact that we see that is beyond a shadow of a doubt. Christ is going to return. When he does, those of us who 
have put our faith in him, who have repented, who have turned to him as Lord. Or there is nothing that we need to fear from anything that this world has to offer or will throw against us. So Lord, I pray that as the confusion of this passage sets in, that we will cling to the things that we know that are easy to understand, that are true, that you love us, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, that if we cling to that, then there is nothing in this world that can take us away from you. No deception that will be able to move us away from you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be assured of our salvation here today, that we would dive deep into your word, that we would know it inside and out so that when these false teachers and false messages come out, that we would not be deceived. But we need your help. We need the help of the Holy Spirit to drive this deep into our hearts and to help serve and love you well. I ask that you would do that in your son's precious name. Amen.